We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, March the 9th, 2020. On today's show, I break down South Carolina women winning the SEC title fifth time in six years. Dawn Staley and company take home the trophy. I'll talk about that. Also, Gamecocks men's basketball going on the road, losing a tough game, 83-74 to to the Vanderbilt Commodores. Gamecocks baseball getting the sweep over Cornell. Also have some news and notes to get into your listener questions and a fantastic interview and conversation with Michael Bratton of that SEC podcast. As we break down South Carolina football, Gamecocks in the middle of spring practice, we'll talk Ryan Holinsky, the newcomers in Marshawn Lloyd and others, the defense, Will Muschamp's job status, the addition of Mike Bobo, and much, much more. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast sent to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, whatever you need tickets to, whether it be South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, professional sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, you name it, whatever you need tickets to, SeatGeek has got it. They've got a great ticket rating system which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So never again are you going to have to scalp or you have to worry that you're overpaying or have any of those worries. They make the ticket buying process super simple, super easy. You go onto their website or go onto the app. They have the tickets right there determined based off of a deal score. So never again, like I said, are you going to overpay for tickets? You're going to know exactly where you're sitting, what you're getting, what you're paying for. It's going to give you that peace of mind. Again, it's going to make the process super simple, super easy for you. So you can just focus on getting the best possible seat, the best possible bang for your buck, and you can go enjoy your event. Again, it's going to give you that peace of mind when you click the buy button to know you are getting the absolute best deal possible. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. Monday, everyone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spurs Up Show. I'm Chris Phillips, your host as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a packed show, a lot happening over the weekend from women's basketball, men's basketball, baseball, some other stuff with football, kind of off the field news and notes. Your listener questions, great interview. We've got a ton to talk about, a packed show here on a Monday. Before we do get into everything, one quick housekeeping item, guys. If you have not done so, Click the pause button if you have not done so. And for those that have, I do appreciate it. But if you have not done so, 
click the pause button, go rate the show, go give your thoughts, your feedback, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever platform you're on, it does not matter. Be sure to go rate the show, give five stars, leave your thoughts, your feedback. Again, if there's things you like, things you don't like, whatever it may be, that's going to be the place to do it. So again, if you guys wouldn't mind, go leave five stars to the podcast. It helps boost up the podcast and maybe helps those that are unfamiliar with the Spurs Up show. It helps them find it. So again, I do appreciate those who have already done it and take five seconds out of your day. If you have not, please go do that. I really do appreciate it. Also, if you're tuned in and you're not subscribed, I'm not really sure what you're doing. Just be sure you are subscribed. Click the pause button. Again, hit the subscribe button. You're going to get the daily notifications about the daily podcast being dropped Monday through Friday. So again, make sure you are subscribed to the Spurs Up show as well. Again, appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, hope everyone adjusted well to the clock moving forward. Uh, I know I woke up Sunday morning. And I kind of forgot that was happening. And I was like, oh gosh, with the baseball game being at one o'clock, I was like, oh my goodness, got to get up, got to get ready to go, everything else. But uh, beautiful day in the city. Like I said, appreciate you guys tuning in. A ton happening over the weekend. And I want to jump right into it. I want to start with Gamecocks wins basketball and Dawn Staley. Gamecocks winning the SEC title. Obviously, the tournament started last week. Gamecocks started their tournament run on Friday, um, going through undefeated, as as many of us expected, going through unscathed, taking on the Mississippi State Bulldogs in the SEC title game, getting the 76-62 win and what was a wild game, a crazy game. South Carolina really dominating start to finish, but a lot of dramatics in that one, obviously. Um, but 76-62, you get the W, fifth title in six years. Um, just fantastic. I mean, really speaking again to what Don Staley has built, what that crew has built, it, it's incredible to see just time after time. And, you know, it's funny. I, I sort of do take it for granted. I have the joke of wake me up when we get to the Final Four, wake me up when we get to the National Championship. South Carolina now 32-1 and overall, 16-0 and in the conference. Uh, Kiki Herbert Harrigan, Harrigan, excuse me, 15 points in that game yesterday. She is named the tournament MVP but just top to bottom, I mean, the team that this Dawn Staley has built, the team that she has put together in this program, it's just phenomenal. So, again, South Carolina winning the SEC tournament, fifth time in six years. Again, we had to start the show off there because, you know, at this point in time, the by far the best athletic program in South Carolina, and, and you, there's no really denying that or debating that. It is Dawn Staley and what she's built with women's basketball. Obviously, South, South Carolina – going to be the number one overall seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, I think they'll probably be the favorite. I know Baylor and Oregon are two other teams that you're going to have to watch for, but I don't see any way how South Carolina would not be the favorite to win it all. Um, and I fully expect them to, to be honest. I mean, I, I fully expect it at minimum to get to the national championship. But kudos kudos to Dawn Staley, kudos to that entire team. And, I mean, listen, it's only going to get better from here. You look how young this team is. Um, Chris Young, one of our writers, put up an article a couple weeks ago, or I think like two weeks ago, talking about how this South Carolina team is the Fab Five in women's basketball. And, I mean, you could really, really make that argument. The amount of young talent, the amount of freshmen, it's crazy. Again, what Don Staley is building, has built, and what they're going to do. It's just it, – it's a true testament to what she has done in her time at South Carolina. So, again, kudos to them, 76-62. to 62. You get the winner of Mississippi State, your fifth SEC tournament title in six years. And like I said, Kiki named the tournament MVP. I mean, top to bottom, you can name everybody on this South Carolina roster an MVP, how good they are. I mean, it just it's crazy how good, how deep, um, 
how well they play time after time again. So, again, don't take it for granted because we are seeing what we're witnessing is greatness. We're enjoying greatness. And, again, I, I joke lightly, obviously, because, listen, I, I know nobody's going to beat us. Nobody's going to beat South Carolina women's basketball. Nobody. I, I will be shocked. I'll be absolutely shocked if they do. But I'm going to ride with Dawn Staley and give them the credit, give them the benefit of the doubt for sure every single time. So, again, congratulations to that crew. Congratulations to Dawn Staley. Congratulations to Gamecocks women's basketball for just doing it yet again, fifth time in six years. Like I said, it's crazy. And, uh, obviously, I know we're all going to be looking forward to the NCAA tournament. Um, let's move into men's basketball because it was a little bit more of a rough time for Frank Martin and his squad. South Carolina falling to Vanderbilt. 83-74 to 74 in what was an extremely, extremely frustrating game for fans, I know, for players alike, for Frank Martin. Um, well, there goes the NCAA tournament. <laughs> the bubble has been burst. Um, you know, there was a reason why over these past couple weeks I was so, I was so hesitant to – make any predictions or proclamations or say that, oh, this team's a tournament team or this team's not a tournament team. Because I knew that Gamecocks basketball, this, this South Carolina team, was capable of a loss like we saw on Saturday. You know, and I hate to say this, and I said this sort of in the post game on Saturday on social media, but, you know, you guys obviously heard my, my concern going into this one. You know, I talked on Friday how this one scared me. This one worried me. And for good reason. It worried me just at Vandy, tough place to play. Vanderbilt Memorial Gymnasium was one of the wackiest places you can go and see a basketball game or, you know, to play a basketball game. That, 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 the, the arena and the court. And we, South Carolina struggled in Nashville for whatever reason. Ten, or Vanderbilt, a team that had been playing better and better and better. And this just felt like – and I didn't want to say this on Friday's show. I didn't want to be negative going in this game. You know, I picked South Carolina to win, and I still thought they would win. But this honestly felt like – the perfect letdown spot. And again, I said this on social media, and for a fan base that has become so accustomed to these letdown moments, you can almost see it coming from a mile away. And that's really how it felt. It did not shock me at all. Like, I predicted South Carolina to win. I really thought South Carolina was going to find a way to win. Thought it would be a close back-and-forth game. Thought it would be a tough game. But I did think South Carolina would pull it out. But it, don't, don't make any mistake. It did not – it does not shock me at all that South Carolina found a way to lose this game. Now you find yourself, obviously, with the SEC tournament starting this week. You've got to win the entire thing to get in the NCAA tournament. There's no question your bubble has been burst. I mean, this is a bad loss. Vandy picking up their third SEC win of the season. Third. And, again, you could just see it coming from a mile away. I mean, to me, this was one – again, I did not want to be – overly negative or anything on Friday's show. You know, again, it worried me, it concerned me, but I really did think South Carolina was going to get the win. But not shocking at all. I mean, I think most South Carolina fans would agree this was not shocking at all. You knew this South Carolina basketball team was capable of playing a bad game like it did. And when you play a bad game in the SEC, you know, I don't, I don't care who you're playing. You play a bad game, you – you know, you play a bad game defensively, you go one for 13 from three-point range like South Carolina did, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat. And you could really say three-pointers was the difference in this game, by the way. South Carolina, one for 13. Vanderbilt, six for 25. I mean, they just – they killed you on the perimeter. And, and then like, like I said, not that they shot that great. They shot 24%, but you shot 7%. I mean, 
you're not going to win many games shooting 7% from three-point range. But I know fans are frustrated. I know fans are frustrated with this game, especially about the fouls. Listen, it was insane. It was crazy. The fouls were absurd. Foul, foul, foul. You get a foul. You get a foul. I mean, just fouls being called constantly. There were 65 free throws attempted in that basketball game. Just absurd. It's a tough brand of basketball to watch. But, but again, it, it just goes back to, again, it was not shocking. It was not surprising. You know, as good as this team has been this year, you just – I knew that it had that in them. It, it had that, that letdown game in them. You know, it, it just did. Um, Jermaine Kuznard struggling. You know, he went one of seven from three-point range. You know, had 13 points, but he struggled. A.J. Lawson, another just lackadaisical game, eight points for him. Mike Coates are even with a quiet day, eight points for him. But – Again, it's just – it's so unfortunate because South Carolina is such a strange team. You've won so many big games this year. You, you, you've won so many big games at Virginia, Kentucky, at Arkansas. Like, you've – you know, Mississippi State at home. You know, you've won so many big games. But the this season, this 2019-2020 season, when it's all said and done, I think will more so be remembered for the pitiful losses. This one at Vandy. I mean, listen, SEC game on the road, it's a tough place to play. I get it, but they were 2-15 and 15 coming into the game. They were 2-15 and 15 in the SEC coming into the game. You lose to them. The Stetson loss, the Boston loss. That's what this, this season will be rumored for. Because if you win those three games, you're probably in the NCAA tournament, no matter what. No matter what. The thing that jumps off the stat sheet to me, by the way, guys, South Carolina giving up 50, 50 second-half points. 50. Where is the defense? So overall, I mean, again, just a, a bad, again, a bad loss, but I'm not irate over it because, again, as a South Carolina basketball fan, you, you should have expected this. You should have seen this coming. We should have seen that. I should have been more vocal about it. I, I, should have, I should have said something about it on the Friday show, honestly. I, I'm almost mad at myself for being blind to it. Because in the back of my head, I, I knew it was a possibility. I knew South Carolina was primed for one of these letdown games. And sure enough, there it goes. And listen, I, I know there's a lot of Frank Martin chatter right now, as, as there probably should be. I'm not saying there shouldn't be some, some questioning going on. Um, you know, I, I always – I was having this conversation with a buddy of mine over the weekend. I always have to preface everything I say about Frank Martin with, I'm not on the fire Frank Martin train. Because people are so sensitive when you're critical of Frank Martin in any way, shape, or form. They just are. I don't know what's up with South Carolina fans, why they're so sensitive about it, but they are. So I'll say it once again. I'm still not on the hashtag fire Frank Martin train. I'm not tweeting fire Frank Martin. I don't really even necessarily feel that way. But it kind of goes back to what I said a few weeks ago in the sense of your athletics department being at a crossroads. You're going to have to look yourself in the mirror. Maybe this offseason. I don't know. But at some point, you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror. And listen, I know how bad South Carolina basketball has been. I do. I get it. First tournament win since 1973. Came under Frank Martin in 2017. That's a long time in between tournament wins. But you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror. And maybe this team goes on and wins the SEC tournament. Maybe they get in the tournament. Maybe they're NIT bound. I don't really, really know at this point. 
But you're going to have to look yourself in the mirror and say, like, what are our yearly expectations? What is good enough for us? Because you finish up your regular season 18 and 13, 10 and 8 in the conference. Sixth overall in conference. If just being slightly above 500 and top half of the conference is good enough, then so be it. And make that clear to everyone so we can all be joyous and happy about finishing where we finished. But if the goal is to make the NCAA tournament, if that's what the goal is, and again, not saying fire Frank Martin, but if that is the goal, then you've missed that goal for now a third straight season. And so I'm not saying Frank needs to be let go or there needs to be a change in that regard, but something probably should be shuffled. I don't know if with assistance or something, different tactics, strategies, whatever. But I just, as someone who's a South Carolina fan and a South Carolina basketball fan, I just have no expectations. My, ex- my expectations of this program are so astronomically low at this point because I feel like there are no expectations of winning. There are no expectations of greatness. And again, I, I say this, I get tired of myself saying it. I wish people just weren't so soft about the Frank Martin thing to where I had to say it over and over again. But you have to because I still have people coming at me now that say, why do you want to fire Frank Martin? I'm saying, I don't. But you can be critical about someone. He's making millions of dollars. I can at least give my opinion and be critical about it when you're getting paid that much. But, I mean, you need to be held – somebody needs to be held accountable. Somebody needs to be held accountable. Because it's, it's just starting to become – a very disturbing trend. You know what I mean? When you, you see people on social media and I talk to other people say, well, next year's team is going to be really good. And I'm not saying they're not. Like, I mean, you look at next year's team, they should be very good. They should be very, very good with, you know, basically everybody returning except Mike Coates are. You should be really, really good. But what we're seeing with these early season losses, these bad losses keeping you out of the NCAA tournament, It's becoming a very disturbing trend. It's becoming a very, very disturbing trend. So, again, listen, I don't know what needs to change. I don't know if anything needs to change. Maybe next year's team is just really that good. I said before this basketball season that this season was postseason or bust for Frank Martin. Not necessarily even in an NCAA tournament or bust. But with this team, with all the hype, with everything we heard about how great the guards were, and this is his best team since the NCAA tournament team, you just you can't miss the postseason entirely with this team. And I guess it's yet to be determined. Maybe South Carolina wins a game or two, or hell, maybe three in the SEC tournament. Maybe they win the whole damn thing. I don't know. But, you know, missing the NCAA tournament hurts. It sucks. Because I definitely think you feel like you had a team with that potential to get there. But, I mean, if you go to the SEC tournament, you go one and done, and you miss the the, the NIT as well, there's just going to need to be a very hard look, like I said, in the mirror at what you are doing and what are the expectations. Because, again, like Frank, think he's a good coach, you know, nothing against him. But at some point, there have to be some sort of criteria of expectations, and someone someone has to be held accountable for not meeting those. And if the if the goal and if the expectation 
is to make the NCAA tournament. That's the goal. And if, if nothing else, if it's to make the postseason. Because I don't – South Carolina basketball, to me, should at least be an NIT team. That, that's just my opinion. That's my belief. It should be at least be an NIT team. If you completely miss the postseason, again, someone should have to be held accountable. I'm not saying – I'm not insinuating you should fire Frank Martin. If that's the decision they choose to go – and honestly, guys, that's – I said this last season. That's sort of the point I'm at. It really wouldn't bother me one way or another. If they keep Frank Martin, hey, he's a good – he's a solid coach. You could do much worse. But if they want to go a different direction, it's not going to upset me. I'll be compl- – I'm not one of these people that's like a Frank Martin, you know, enthusiast and lover and like – scorns anyone that has any negative opinion of him. It wouldn't bother me. It really wouldn't bother me if they, if they thought going a different direction was more beneficial. So be it. You know what I mean? So be it. It's not like, it's not like we're going to the NCAA tournament every year and they're firing him. I mean, we're not. So, again, I like Frank. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe you go run the table in the SEC tournament. I don't know. But it's just – it's becoming all too expected, too. I'm very. I'm becoming very. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm becoming very apathetic to Gamecocks men's basketball. I really am. That, that that's a great way to describe just how I feel about it. Apathy. I have apathy towards South Carolina men's basketball because I have no expectations, and there's nothing that tells me that we are that that getting to the tournament and winning big that that's like the number one thing for us. So. You know, again, I still think this is not a bad team. It's not a bad team by any means. You know, maybe you can get something together and get hot. You might face Vanderbilt again. You take a look at the SEC tournament bracket. You're going to face the winner of uh, the winner of Arkansas and Vanderbilt. You're going to face the winner of Arkansas and Vanderbilt. So you may see this Vanderbilt team again. And hell, you beat them by 26 before. You beat them by 26. So, I, I feel like if you play them again, you might have a good shot. Then you play – if you win that one, let's just say, on Thursday, then Friday you'd play LSU, which would obviously be a very tough game. They beat you on your home floor. I mean, you're on – you're probably on the favorable side of the bracket, to be honest. I mean, your path there goes through LSU, Auburn, you know, A&M, Mizzou, Vandy, Arkansas. Like, you're, you, you avoid Kentucky and you avoid Florida. And you avoid Mississippi State. So, it's manageable. I guess it's doable. I'm not predicting it. And we'll obviously talk about that more later in the week. But it's possible. We'll just put it, it's possible. But, you know, again, as far as just going back to the overall outlook of South Carolina basketball, like I said, I'm not sitting here pitching fire Frank Martin, fire Frank Martin. Like, that's not the lead topic of my show. I haven't tweeted that. I haven't said that. But I think one of the reasons I'm so indifferent about it is I'm just so apathetic about Gamecocks basketball. I really am. And the reason, again, is there's just no expectations. There's nothing that tells me when we tune in for a season that, like, we're striving or fighting for or expecting to make the NCAA tournament. Like, just, and if you don't make – listen, guys, if you don't make the NCAA tournament in college basketball, then what have you even really done with the season? Like, what, it's, you know, what have you done? So, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the coming weeks, coming months, if there's any change at all. I don't think there will be. And, I, you know, I saw a lot of people that I follow that have been on Frank Martin's side and big Frank Martin people even start to question. Even them start to question. You know, start to question after that Vanderbilt loss. Like, hey, what are we doing? 
Like, is, is Frank, you know, the guy? Which I thought was very interesting and very surprising. But, uh, no, I mean, Saturday's loss, again, just kind of a microcosm of this 2019-2020 season. A team that can be so high but then so low, and unfortunately Saturday was one of the low points you saw. So, again, South Carolina going to try to bounce back. We'll break down. I'll break down the SEC tournament in full this week. Gamecocks taking on the winner of Arkansas and Vanderbilt on Thursday night. Going to be a late game. But, again, like I said, I'm going to have a full SEC tournament preview. Very excited for that. Uh, So, stay tuned later in the week as we break that down. All right, let's talk some baseball. Great weekend on the diamond. South Carolina sweeping the Cornell Big Red really in dominating fashion. Um, 10-2 on Friday, 10-3 on Saturday, and then on Sunday – Six to one, really all three games, none were close. Um, you, you know, you take a look at this series and the key takeaways. And my first note here is simply you just took care of business. You know, you, you, did, you did what you should have done. You know, I, I talked about Friday or Thursday going into this series, going into this weekend. You had to have a sweep. You, you just had to. And you looked at Cornell on paper. You, look, you looked at their statistics. Them being an Ivy League school, there really was no excuse to not roll. There was no excuse to not roll this weekend. And I'm glad to see that you did that. Um, one of the things I was most impressed with, the starting pitching this weekend, you know, I, I talked to people. And I had a buddy of mine text me this on Sunday afternoon. I kind of wanted to bring it up. He, he told me, he said, Chris, I'm apathetic about Gamecocks baseball right now. I was like, what do you mean, why? And he's like, you know, after the series loss to Northwestern, after the series loss to Clemson, I didn't even hardly follow along this weekend. Like, I didn't even know when South Carolina was playing. I just saw the ticker or something. And like, oh, snap, we're actually playing a game. And, you know, first I was like, well, it's Cornell. But I'll say this to all Gamecock fans, because, listen, no, no South Carolina fan is looking at the Cornell series and going, oh, we swept Cornell? We're back. We're back. Yes. Nobody's doing that. But I, I for whatever reason, <laughs> maybe I'm just blind and loyal to a fault or something, but I still think this can be a really good baseball team. I really do. I really think this can still be a really good baseball team. Um, there's talent on this team. This team, guys, I'll go ahead and say, this team, obviously we've got an entire SEC schedule to go through. This team is worlds better than a year ago. Worlds better. It's not even close, in my opinion. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, we'll start on the pitching side of things. The starting pitching, and I'm going to break, down them, break them down a little bit more in a second statistically, but the really, you know, that's one of the main reasons that I feel so good about this team as we go into SEC play, as we get closer this week, obviously with this weekend against Tennessee going into SEC play. Carmen Majinski on Friday did not have his best stuff, five walks. He needs to pitch better, but he only gives up one earned run in five and a third innings. Thomas Farr and Brandon Jordan have been fantastic, and they did that yet again. The starting pitching has shined. I expected it to. I told you, I said last week you needed three good outings. Again, Carmen needs to pitch better. No questions asked, needs to pitch better. But overall, when you take a step back and you look at it, the starting pitching was fantastic this weekend. The bullpen, I feel like, really starting to get its groove. The bullpen is really outside of Saturday night. Uh, Andy Peters struggling. He came out of the bullpen, was throwing balls. And listen, he's a guy coming off of the arm injury that he's going to be very inconsistent, going to look great sometimes, bad others. But outside of him giving up three runs, I think it was the stat is in like nine and a third or something like that, nine, almost ten innings pitched. Your bullpen didn't give up a single run. That's impressive. That's impressive. And you date it back to the Furman game as well in the midweek Tuesday and how well the bullpen is pitched. 
that's impressive and a great sign and has to make you feel good as a South Carolina baseball fan considering the struggles they had against Northwestern and against Clemson. So the bullpen starting to roll. I mean, listen, offensively, you scored 26 runs over three games. Like I said, doing what you really should have done. Um, what I like so much about the lineup right now, I saw a lot more of a, a aggressive swings, the aggressiveness I thought. And, again, that, that does factor some to who you're playing. The arms that you saw this weekend were not what you're going to see even like against Tennessee, obviously what you're going to see against Vandy, Georgia, Florida, whatever. But you score 26 runs over three games. I think the top of the lineup right now is really starting to solidify itself. I love Noah Myers in that leadoff role. I think he needs to stay there all season long. He's a guy, his OBP right now is around 500, which is really, really good. Um, Jeff Heinrich, I don't know who's swinging a hotter stick than Jeff Heinrich, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. So the top of the lineup really solidifying itself. You had Brennan Malone come back in the lineup this weekend, which not a great weekend. I think he went like one for eight, but a guy that got his first hit as a Gamecock, first collegiate hit, a double down the line on Saturday. But he's a guy with more at-bats, obviously getting him in the lineup. That's going to be huge. Going to be huge, in my opinion, for this lineup. Um, Brady Allen with a really solid weekend. Wes Clark hitting two more home runs Friday and Saturday now. Has eight on the year. He's leading the SEC. Really has established himself as that cleanup hitter, that power hitter. And it's funny, somebody on Saturday made the comparison. He's, he's this team's Phil Disher. And I actually love that comparison. I can see it. I love that comparison, to be honest with you. But he's swinging a hot stick. Andrew Eister, after sort of scuffling on Friday and Saturday, he hits you a three-run home run on Sunday, kind of gets off the schneid a little bit. Um, so a lot of guys do – you know, I love, loved what I saw from Colin Burgess behind the plate Friday, Saturday. I think he's your best option back there defensively. Love having him back there. Um, I think he's got a lot of swag to walk – you know, really carries himself, brings a lot of swag to the plate, guy who can handle the stick himself. So – I like what I saw from the lineup top to bottom. A lot of guys having good weekends. Again, love what I'm seeing from the top of the lineup, especially having a true leadoff guy, which is something I feel like we have just, for some reason, lacked the last couple of seasons. Um, But again, overall, you did what you should have. You did what you were supposed to do. Cornell is not on your level. They don't belong in the same field as you, and you took care of business. You took care of business. You outscored them again, 26 to twenty-six to 6. You outscored them 26 to 6 this weekend. That's what you should have done. But you don't take this, you know, you don't take this sweep lightly. Heck, your, 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 your opponent this upcoming weekend, Tennessee, lose, lost two of three to Wright State. And Wright State, listen, much better than Cornell. But still, you don't take it for granted. But this was a weekend, like I said, coming into it, that you could really use it to boost your stats, build some confidence, boost your morale have something to feel good about after two rough weekends. And I really thought this Gamecocks baseball team that, again, in in, in all phases, the starting pitching, the bullpen, the defense even, the hitting. Let's see, I think defensively. So early in that game on Friday, obviously, it was a struggle. You got down two to nothing at the top of the second. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, oh, my God, this this is like a nightmare. So you had two errors in that game. But outside of that, none. You had two errors the entire weekend. You will take that. So I think it was a good weekend, top to bottom for South Carolina baseball. And again, you get the sweep. You have something to feel good about. And now, again, you kind of almost have your mojo back. You know what I mean? You, you have your mojo back. You're feeling good. You have a lot of confidence going into a midweek game now on Tuesday against the Citadel. And then on this weekend, this upcoming weekend, you're opening SEC play again. It, it, it's good to get that sweep under your belt. 
TSUS Series MVP. I talked a little about a little bit about South Carolina starting pitching earlier, and you know there were a lot of guys, a lot of people who who I could have given the Series MVP to, but I decided instead of giving it to one person, I'm going to give it to the entire USC starting staff, the the, the starting three: Carmen Majinski, Thomas Farr, and Brandon Jordan. Even with Carmen Majinski not having his best stuff, even with his rough outing, quote unquote, which again. It's tough to call it a rough outing when you only give up one earned run, but it was certainly a rough outing. He did not did not pitch his best. But Gamecock starting pitching over the weekend. 16 and a third innings pitched, nine hits, three runs, two earned, eight walks, and 21 strikeouts. That's getting the job done. That is getting the job done. You'll take that every time. And again, guys, I talked about why I still feel, honestly, why I still feel optimistic about this season, why I think it can be a good season. It starts with that pitching staff. You know, you, you get three performances like that. And, again, if you can get Carmen sort of rolling, I, I love this rotation that you have right now. You're, like I said, comparing it back to last year, it's night and day difference how much better a spot you're in with your starting rotation than you were a year ago. Um, let's play a little who's hot, who's not now, who's hot. This one, to me, was an absolute no-brainer, and it is Jeff Heinrich. Jeff Heinrich, a guy who we actually highlighted after the first weekend, as somebody is who's not, he started the season, um, what, no, actually after the second weekend, he was two for 12, I think, at one point, something like that, was the last guy on this team to get a hit. Since then, he has been on fire, six for 10 over the weekend, a homer, four RBIs. Jeff Heinrich, I talked about earlier, the top of the lineup really solidifying itself with him and Noah Myers, but Jeff Heinrich seeing the baseball so well right now, and I think people starting to really see – what I saw and what others saw in the scrimmages. I mean, a guy who's just a true dirtbag, a true baseball player, hits to all sides of the field. He's never a guy you see try to do too much or get outside of himself, really stays within himself, drives the baseball back up the middle, drives it backside, will take the inside pitch. Obviously, the home run was pull side, but has been great in the field as well. Um, really, really, really been impressed with Jeff Heinrich. And now, obviously, that Brennan Malone is back. You keep Jeff in the lineup. You move him to second base. Obviously, with Noah Campbell being out with the thumb as well, we're not sure how long he's going to be out. But I love what Jeff Heinrich's done at the plate. I love what he's done at the field. And, again, he's really showing what I saw in the scrimmages, which was he is a baller. He is a gamer. He is a dirtbag. He's just a true baseball player. So, again, who's hot? Jeff Heinrich, no question for me. Who's not? This one was kind of tough just because there's nobody that had a, a noticeably bad weekend. Um, but back to the starting rotation, I am going to pick on him a little bit, and that's right-handed pitcher Carmen Majinski. The only reason I put him here, like I said, you look at the stat sheets, two, run, two runs, one earned. You know, you think to yourself, not a horrible outing. But for Carmen, it was not his best thing, not his best day. Um, back-to-back bad outings for him, I think he would tell you too. I mean, five and a third, six hits, five walks. Um, so allowing 11 base runners, just five strikeouts, two and five and a third leaving the ball up, he's got to pitch better. And Mark Kingston said that, and, you know, Carmen obviously knows that. He's got to pitch better. Again, not that he pitched that bad, but really nobody had just a noticeably bad weekend. So I would say Carmen Majinski right now not hot just because back-to-back bad outings. Going to be pivotal for this South Carolina baseball team. Probably going to be my biggest key of the weekend for Carmen Majinski to have a back bounce-back performance um, against the Tennessee Volunteers. He's got to pitch like the guy we know he can be. He's got to pitch like the first rounder, the second rounder, the All-American, whatever it may be. But, again, not a terrible outing, but back-to-back bad ones. 
We'll see if he can get it going. He can right the ship in SEC play. Um, what's next for this Gamecocks baseball team? I already said Tuesday or tomorrow against the Citadel at Founders Park, 7 o'clock first pitch. And then you've got Tennessee coming into town, which, like I said, Tennessee just lost two of three to Wright State. So should be a very interesting weekend. Obviously, you want to get off on the right foot. Tennessee, one of those teams that's sort of a, you know, not on that level of Georgia, Florida, Vandy. Um, but not a bad team either. They were undefeated going into this past weekend, just to give you an idea. So, a, a huge series for South Carolina. I'll talk about it a lot more later in the week, but it's a huge series, no question. I mean, you want to get off on the right foot. You want to almost kind of get this fan base back in your corner. Because I know there's a, a lot of people which, like I said, I, I told you guys, my buddy, my buddy texted me saying, you know, I feel apathetic about Gamecocks baseball. There's a lot of people that feel that way, I think. And I think you can see that in the crowds. I mean, listen, the crowds have not been great. The crowds have not been great. And uh, I think big reason is just you're coming off a terrible year. A lot of people are skeptical on Mark Kingston. You lose back-to-back weekend series. You know, if you can beat Tennessee two of three, if you can find a way to do that, it's going to really catch people's eye, I think, and get people sort of feeling good that, hey, maybe this season can we can make something positive out of this season, if you will. So should be a lot of fun. A uh, couple news and notes, and we'll get into your listener questions in this interview. News and notes. Bryson Allen Williams joining the Georgia State staff. He joins former South Carolina assistant Sean Elliott at Georgia State. So great for Bryson Allen Williams getting in that. And I think he's a guy that will probably be in coaching for a long, long time. Really smart kid, knowledgeable of the game. Had him on the podcast. Great friend of the show. He's an awesome dude. Um, also, on the baseball side of things, Graham Lawson, who went out with an injury against Furman, out for six weeks with a lat injury. So, it's really you feel you feel sorry for him. It's unfortunate. He's a guy that battled injury, was coming back from an arm injury, was really hopeful for him. Thought he could be the Gamecock setup guy. You know, he can obviously help you a little bit down the road, maybe. But just a tough break, man. Just a really, really tough break for uh for a guy in Graham Lawson again that is already coming back from an arm injury. You hate to see it, but uh, wishing him obviously a speedy recovery. All right, let's get into your listener questions. Got a couple here. I know I put up the link late. Uh, as far as the question, so I apologize for that. But got a couple questions here I want to get to. Andrew underscore the underscore textbook. Is there anyone who can beat South Carolina women's basketball? If so, who? The simple answer for me is no. I mean, the simple answer to me is no. I don't think so. I think Dawn Staley and that crew, if they show up to play, play their game every single time out, nobody's going to beat them. Uh, Mason underscore Crow 48. Is it time to question Carmen or move him in the rotation, or is it just a temporary slump? I don't think it's time to question. I saw somebody else ask this as well. Listen, you can't – you have to remember also how dominant Carmen was to start the season. Has he had two less than stellar outings? For sure. He definitely has. And he's got to pitch better. He has to pitch better. But you still know what he's capable of. I think he's a guy that can be a big-time Friday night guy in the SEC. He's got the stuff. He's got the talent. He's got the potential. I don't think it's time to jump ship on Carmen. Now, if you get into the SEC play and he struggles the next time out and the next time out, you may consider moving Thomas far in that Friday role. You, you may consider doing it. But right now, I don't think it's the time. Listen, Carmen's your guy. You know, he, he's been your guy all offseason. You knew he was going to be your Friday night guy. Just because he's had two back-to-back outings where he didn't have his best stuff, you can't jump ship. And like I said, was he great Friday? Absolutely not. But he gave up one earned run. He gave up one earned run. Again, he's got to be better, but it's not time to jump ship, in my opinion. Um, Evan Starnes, 19. How confident are you that the women are going to win the NCAA tournament? 
I would probably say 97%. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty damn confident. I'm not going to lie to you. I think they've got it pretty much locked up. Um, last question, Ben Smitty, 2017. <laughs> Can we let Dawn Staley recruit for Frank? If we get an ace recruiter in men's basketball, we're top 25. The questions about Dawn Staley and coaching men's are hilarious, y'all, but it ain't going to happen. So let's not get our hopes up and act like that's something that's actually going to happen. But uh, no, I mean, I, you do need to recruit better. Men's have got to recruit better. That is the biggest thing. That's the biggest indictment, I would say, on Frank Martin and the staff and what they're doing. But uh, listen, Dawn Staley coaching men's or anything involving men's is not going to happen. It's just, it's just not. It's just not. So let's just leave it at that. Um, all right, appreciate listener questions, guys. Have a fantastic interview and conversation with Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast. You probably know him better as SEC Mike on Twitter. He also works for Saturday Down South, does stuff with them. So a fantastic conversation. Again, we're in the middle of spring practice. We're talking football, and it's never too early to talk Gamecocks football. We're breaking down again. Ryan Holinsky, Mike Bobo, Will Muschamp, the newcomers, literally anything and everything. If you guys did not see, I actually went on his show last week to break down South Carolina. So I figured why not bring him on one of the best in the business. So again, please enjoy this conversation. Enjoy this interview. It's a phenomenal time. Stay tuned for it. Here it is, Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show, Michael Bratton. You probably know him better as SEC Mike. You can find him on social media at Michael W. Bratton. He hosts the That SEC Podcast, which you can also find on social media at That SEC Podcast on every podcast network, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places you can think of. He's also an editor for Saturday Down South and had previous stops with NFL.com and FoxSports.com. So, again, Michael Bratton joining me to talk some South Carolina football. And like I said, Michael, it is never a bad time to talk college football and to talk SEC football. It's a 365-day-a-year thing, but especially with spring practice going on, um, never a bad time to talk about it. Mike, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. Big fan of the show and obviously huge fan of SEC football. It's all My brain revolves around at 365, so anytime. Absolutely. So before we dive into everything, Michael, for those that maybe don't know who you are, like I said, you're SEC Mike. I feel like everyone does know who you are at this point. But for those that maybe don't know, tell a little bit, tell people a little bit about yourself, the podcast, obviously where they can find it. Just kind of give the plug for uh, everything that you do. Absolutely. Well, I run the news desk over at Saturday Down South. So basically anything and everything you see coming out of that, um, you know, I don't know who, who it was that originally took over and got their their handle on Twitter, but it's perfect, SEC football. So pretty much everybody should see that one out there. Anyone, you know, Monday through Friday, you're seeing news through there. That's probably something that either I've written or something I've edited. So been working with them a number of years and uh, just always wanted to, you know, I appreciate, I'm not a hater on anyone's podcast. Like I, I encourage everyone, I'll help anyone to, uh, you know, in, join their show or help them get started with the podcast, what have you. But, you know, for a number of years, I just didn't really think there was a really a podcast out there that just covered the entire SEC. And, you know, there's plenty of shows out there that, that claim to do it, but it seems like they focus on Alabama or Georgia or, you know, whoever LSU just won the national championship. So let's spend 80% of our time talking about that. And then let's give the other 20%. Let's split that up to 10 teams. And I'm just not a fan of that, man, because that's, that's why I love SEC football because 
whether you're South Carolina, you're coming off a four-win season, or you're LSU coming off a 15-win season. I mean, you're a diehard fan. You're ready for – there's no other conferences that they care about spring football or, uh, you know, national signing day, early signing period. I mean, who who other, who else was going to get a five-star Jordan Burge coming off a four-win season? <laughs> but that's SEC. That's South Carolina football. I mean, the, the passion is there. The facilities is there. Um, I mean, you're only a, couple, a handful of players away from jumping back up that SEC ladder, and it's because everything, all the resources and all the money is there. So I just like to cover the entire league as a whole. Uh, that's why we started up podcasts and, and just having a good time doing it. Like you said, it can, can be found on virtually any podcast platform, YouTube, what have you. So we're on anything out there. It's that SEC podcast. And, uh, you know, anyone that wants to daily updates on the SEC, uh, check us out. Yeah, be sure to go check it out for sure. So, Michael, I, I want to go ahead and jump into it, start with you talking Gamecocks football. And I, I feel like whether it be this spring, all throughout summer when we get into fall, I want to go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I talked about this with you on your show. You, you can't talk start, start talking about this South Carolina football program without first talking about the the status of Will Muschamp going into his fifth season. Obviously just hired Mike Bobo, when I, but I want to focus – on Will Muschamp specifically, because like I told you the last time we spoke, you know, I know how I feel, and I know how a lot of South Carolina fans feel, but I, I'm very curious to get the the thoughts from someone on the outside, if you will, like yourself. I mean, you're someone that's very familiar with Will Muschamp, obviously covering the SEC. He was at Florida before. You're a Tennessee guy, so I mean, you, you saw him directly. You've seen him in the, the Tennessee-Florida games, the Tennessee-South Carolina games. But coming into year five, just your overall thoughts on Will Muschamp, his status in the Gamecocks program, and what you think he needs to do in year five to retain his job and be there in 2021. Oh, yeah. Well, I should have mentioned that as well. I'm a Tennessee graduate. So whatever, you know, Florida fans, South Carolina fans, you're out on Will Muschamp. Uh, if you ask anyone that graduated from Tennessee, Will Muschamp is the greatest coach there ever was. I mean, <laughs> my God, he's like seven and one, eight and one. Yeah, against seven, Tennessee, I think seven so. and one. Yeah. I mean, but all joking aside, yeah. I mean, I understand it. Uh, you know, obviously the program not—I don't want to say trending in the right direction, but clearly took a step back last year, mm. and it just didn't seem like the leadership knew what in the hell they wanted to do. Whether they wanted to bring him back, could they afford his buyout? You know, what other candidates are out there? So, you know, I always caution people that it can always get worse. And, you know, I think South Carolina fans kind of learned that the hard way last year because what was it? It was, you know, Jake Bentley hype time and time again, mm -hmm. and he wasn't getting it done. Let's kick it over to Ryan Holinsky. He's our answer. And then here we are a year later, we're saying, what's Luke Doty got? You know what <laughs> I mean? So the grass is not always greener. I understand the, the issues with Will Muschamp, but, I, I think you could certainly say Florida took a step back. I know they were winning on the field, but there was really weak SEC East, mm -hmm. uh, you know, during uh, the uh, Jim McElwain era. But I mean, that guy nearly destroyed the program. So yeah, I, I think that's something there that uh, Gators took a step back, in my opinion. After Will Muschamp left, they were winning with his players. Uh, and like I mentioned there, Jordan Birch. I mean. If Will Muschamp didn't have any clue what he's doing, I don't think he's signing a player like Jordan Birch. I don't think he's getting Alinsky. I don't think he's getting uh, uh, Marshawn Lloyd. I mean, the list goes on and on. A guy can recruit, no doubt. That's a big part of the process. But, of course, you know, there is serious doubts on whether he's an elite game day coach. He's coached long enough kind of to, for us to tell that, uh, you know, he's not an upper echelon coach. So 
Yes, just South Carolina is in a weird spot because if they crater again, yeah, certainly I understand. You're going to lose the fan base. If that happens, you know, t- ticket sales and, and all that, you got to make a move. But at the same time, if they're stuck in a place where they're winning maybe six games next year, maybe seven, um, I know a lot of fans will still be kind of out on them, but I think you got to bring them back because I'm, a, I'm just a big believer in continuity helping you. And particularly given the fact that, uh, you know, if Mike Bobo comes in and gets Ryan Helinski or whoever the quarterback is to play at a higher level, I think going into year two under Mike Bobo, I think that's when you're really going to see it. So I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of pulling the plug unless, unless you really have to, unless you lose the fan base, unless you have another four win season, uh, Mm -hmm. because you know, the worst case scenario is you kind of, you have a 500 type year, maybe a seven and five type year. You pull the plug on Will Muschamp, you bring in somebody that you think's an elite coach, and, and then he and then he doesn't know what the heck he's doing in the SEC, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you're even further back than where you were before. Yeah, I want to ask you, obviously, I don't think it's any question that, like you said, I mean, if it's another four-win season, I, I think Will Muschamp's out, and it's no doubt that this is a put-up-or-shut-up type year, and we talked about that a lot when I came on your show about what is the number for Will Muschamp, and I I said for me, you know, I think worse than seven wins. Listen, if they don't, if they miss a bowl game, to me, it's it's he's out. I, I think 100% he's out. If it's six and six, it's kind of a gray area. How do you lose those other six? What are the six wins? And I think seven and five are better. His job is safe. What is the number for you? And again, like example, six and six. Not all six and six seasons are built the same. For example, if you go six and six, but five of the six losses are by you know a touchdown or less, and you, you know maybe you upset somebody. That's a lot different than if you go six and six and like we saw last year where it's like five of the six losses or however many of your losses are by double digits um, or by 14 or more. Is there a specific mm-hmm. number for you that you say he has to hit this and if they fall short of that, he's 100% gone? Because I, I really do think that's the type of year we are approaching for South Carolina this year where it's the program to me is going to go one of two directions. Either it's going to get better and he's going to stay or – it's going to be bad again, and he's going to be gone. I just I don't see a lot of gray area there. But what's the number for you that brings him back to Columbia next season? Yeah, it's tough to really put a number on it per se because, like you said, there's so many different factors, so many variables, and uh, given the fact that you know they do have another tough schedule, but I certainly the way I look at it is you know first of all you got to make a bowl game. I think you're yeah. kind of hitting at that that that's got to be the benchmark there and kind of. Also, you hit on it there. You just you just can't be getting blown out left and right, particularly at home. So the way I look at it is, you got to make the postseason. And how does your team show up at home against some, even against some of the tougher teams you're going to face? And, and I really want to see some of these streaks come to the end. Like they've really got to beat Texas A&M. I agree. Uh, yeah. L- LSU. I know that's going to be an incredibly tough game. So I mean, they just got such a tough draw at the end of the year. So, I mean, they, South Carolina could have momentum going into November, and then all of a sudden, you know, if they're getting blown out by Georgia, LSU, and at Clemson, you know, I could certainly see the fan base, you know, kind of tuning out, and maybe a change is made. But, you know, if he can steal a game down the stretch, including, you know, because te- I think Texas A&M could be – it's just weird how the schedule keeps breaking down for South Carolina because, you know, I, I don't want to go too far out on a limb here, but I may be picking Texas A&M to win the West next year. And that would just be Will Muschamp's luck because I don't think LSU is going to be taking much of a step back either. So, um, you know, 
it, it really comes down to how these games get go, particularly the back half of the season. So if he's – let's say he wins six games, but like I said, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson all win by, you know, 20 points or more. Yeah. I think you could still make the case for Will Muschamp needs to go because he's, I think he's been there long enough to where you're not getting blown out. You just can't have a, a, a dang month of blowouts to end a season. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think South Carolina football, they're going to have to take advantage of the front half of that schedule. Like you mentioned, and we talked last time, the month of November just dawning for South Carolina football. I mean, like you said, at LSU, Georgia at home, and then at Clemson, that's got to be one of the tougher slates throughout the month of November, any month period for any team in this college football season. Let's stick with the coaching staff, though. And you talked about Mike Bobo, and that's obviously the hire of the offseason. You know, it's always been to Will Muschamp. Can he figure it out offensively? Can he get out of his own way and have a team that produces on the offensive side? Because he's been, he's been able to, and obviously we saw it at Florida, to get the defensive side figured out. But can the Gamecocks – can they just score enough points to win games? Brian McClendon demoted. He's still on the staff as the wide receiver coach, which I even debate that I think there were a lot of things outside of Brian McClendon's control that limited what was done last year. But you had to make a change. You had to change something. You bring in Mike Bobo. I know a lot of people right now are questioning what is the offense going to look like. You know, some It was kind of a mixed bag, Mike, on the hire. You know, a lot of people – don't want to see you go to the traditional Georgia style I formation under center every play. But then you take a look at some mm-hmm. of his teams at Colorado State. It was a lot more, you know, West Coast spread with a little bit of that running game that under center mixed in. And, you know, Will Muschamp saying in his opening presser for spring practice that they're going to be more under center this year. And my takeaway and what I, what I hear from it is that, you know, listen, I don't think it's going to be like Georgia where they're under center in the I formation every play. But to me, this is going to be a team that tries to run the football more. And, you know, you heard Mike Bobo in one of his post, uh, post-practice post pressers last week saying they asked him, you know, what's your perfect offensive day? And his answer was, we throw for 300 and we run for 200. He, he wants to be balanced, but it's clear to me they want to run the football. What are your expectations of – I guess it's a tough question in the sense of what do you expect the offense to look like? Because I think a lot of that is just determined on – you know, your personnel. I mean, one of the reasons I think South Carolina is going to run the ball a lot is because they're very limited at the wide receiver position, but you bring in a guy like Marshawn Lloyd, who I think could be the next great back at South Carolina. But I guess what are your expectations of Mike Bobo based off what you know about him when he was in the SEC at Georgia and his previous stop at Colorado State? Well, it's interesting that you go to uh, Lloyd because I think that's going to be the key to the offense. Uh, outside of obviously the quarterback, the most important position, but can they really, you know, ask Lloyd to shoulder the, to carry the load of the offense? I don't know if it's realistic for a true freshman to come in here and do that in the SEC, but I still think he could have, you know, maybe like an SEC freshman player of the year type season. And they're, they're probably going to need that if they're going to surprise some people and win seven, eight games. So a lot being thrown his way. The early returns are he's living up to the hype. Seems like the the defensive players on on South Carolina's roster are very impressed with him. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, the thing that really stood out to me the first week of South Carolina camp was just Ryan Helinski stepping out there in front of the media and just basically, you know, I didn't sense any entitlement. I didn't I didn't sense any, uh, you know, he wasn't throwing anyone under the bus. He put it on himself. And he basically, you know, came out and said, this is not going to happen again. I'm not going to allow it to happen again. And I know there's, I don't want to say a leadership void, but there's players that do need to step up and become leaders in South Carolina, given what they've lost 
during this offseason. And if Halinski is your new leader, obviously your starting quarterback most likely, I think that's a great sign. And I think that's starting – that's Mike Bobo kind of, you know, the confidence and the and just film study with Ryan Halinski. All right, I know it's only been a couple of short weeks there that he's been in Columbia, but I'm already starting to see that rub off on Halinski. And that's it just – it is natural, obviously, to go from a freshman to a sophomore and take a leap forward. But, I mean, you could have said the same thing about Jake Bentley. You know, you can say <laughs> the same thing about a lot of quarterbacks. I'm not, not trying to pick on Bentley, but it's one thing to assume that step is going to happen. But to me, it looks like it's already happened or, or it's in the process of happening with Ryan Halinski. And that's got me pretty fired up about South Carolina. Um, and I, I just really love the fact that he came out and, and put it on himself, said, I need, to, I need to play better. I need to lead better. And I'm going to do that next season. So, you know, I'm pretty fired up about it. But going to Bobo, yeah, I mean, his track record at Georgia, I know he had a lot to talent, a lot of talent to work with year in and year out. But, mm. I mean, you're looking back at it now, guys like Aaron Murray, who, I mean, he can't even play in the XFL. But <laughs> go ahead and look at the SEC record books. Right. Uh, he's number one all, across the board on several career numbers. And that's, I, like I said, I know he was surrounded by talent, but I think a lot of that had to do with Mike Bobo. Yeah, he, he's been a quarterback he had, whisperer for sure. That's one thing that excites me about. He's been a quarterback whisperer, no doubt. And he's had he's worked with these quarterbacks like uh, Joe Cox, and uh, I think he had another guy, Hunter Mason, I think was his name. I mean, these are yeah. guys that I don't even think had the ability to play in the SEC yet. <laughs> they're turning out, you know, twenty-five touchdowns and five interception seasons routinely at Georgia under Mike Bobo. So he's just got so much street cred with me in terms of what he can do at the quarterback position. And, you know, Georgia fans, it was so bizarre to me. That's just Georgia fan. I guess, you know, they're ready to be be fired with their offensive coordinator. As soon as he's gone, they want him back. Same thing with Jim Chaney last year. So that goes to show you that um, while they may have gotten a little bit tired of him for whatever reason, uh, they kind of showed immediately that they wanted him right back. So, yeah, you know, I I just really think uh, you know, given his what he's done there, and given the fact that he's been a head coach, and of course that he's played with Will Muschamp at Georgia, you know, they have such a uh, tight relationship. I think the key to his hire, outside of all the stuff we already talked about, and his ability to develop a quarterback, is the fact that if Will Muschamp, you know, gets in his face and demands, you know, maybe they run the ball or something, and Mike Bobo is going to tell him to sit his ass over there on the bench because I got this thing. You know what I mean? Like he's just not going to take it from Will Muschamp. And that's probably what Will Muschamp's been missing, what he desperately needs. Yeah, I, I thought it just kind of go back to Georgia thing. I thought it spoke volumes that when Mike Bobo, it was evident he was going to be on the market. You heard a lot of dogs fans clamoring to bring Mike Bobo back to Athens. It's kind of the thing you said earlier, like the grass is not always greener than this other side. There's a lot of Georgia fans that, miss Mike Bobo which again like you said it's hysterical because it's like and that's just how that's the nature of coaching in the SEC I mean week after week you're just your head's being called and you know it's just the demand especially a place like Georgia I mean the demand for winning people are questioning Kirby Smart it's just like they've been to the playoff they've had all this success they won the SEC but it's still at the end of the day uh just not good enough so it's kind of funny you mentioned Joe Cox as well he's on the staff as well coaching tight ends but I want to talk about Ryan Halinski because Again, when I came on your show, we talked about him a little bit. I know you said you did some quarterback rankings, and I think you said you had him ranked 10th out of 14th, which 
you know, I have no beef with Frank, Frank uh, Ryan Holinsky has a lot to prove in my opinion, but I know there's a lot of things you like about him. We talked about sort of the intangibles that he has with, with his past, with his family upbringing, with the tragedy he dealt with, with his brother. And I think there are certain intangible qualities and factors he has, the leadership quality, if you will. I think people in that locker room believe in him. And like you said, it's natural for someone to take the, the next step as a freshman to sophomore, becoming more of a leader. But obviously, you know, being sharper on the field, being a better player, it's much easier to lead when you're a really, really good player too, right? What are you expecting from Ryan Linsky? I guess when you take a look at his game last year, what did you like about it? What are things that you think need to improve? I thought it was very interesting that Mike Bobo made a – and I was glad he made this point, a very clear point. He said to the media, he said, Ryan Linsky's footwork was not good last year. It was not good. He mm-hmm. needs to get better. His foot, and I was just – I was like, it feels so good and it's so refreshing to have someone come out and just be honest and just, just say that and point that out because I do agree with him. But I guess what were your takeaways from Ryan Linsky after he was thrust into a very tough situation as a true freshman, played basically your entire season? What were your takeaways from that? And then what are you expecting from Ryan Linsky? I mean, what do you think the ceiling is – for a guy like that, I mean, do you think he could be, again, you have him ranked 10th. Do you think he could be one of the top, you know, two, three, four quarterbacks in the SEC when it's all said and done? Oh, yeah. Anyone out there, they may have heard me say this, but uh, I like to call him Ryan Heislinski. The first time I've seen him play at South Carolina, I was like, my God, this guy's going to win a Heisman. He's that good. But, uh, you know, came back down to reality pretty quick against Alabama and you know, not that he looked overmatched. That was a that was an interesting game with some questionable calls and a lot of things went against South Carolina in that one, if I recall. But mm. he seemed to get knocked around a little bit. And then the, that Missouri game is when I really started to cool on him. But obviously he was injured. So, you know, it's, it's hard for me to really evaluate him. That's kind of why I have him so low on my list. I think obviously he could, you know, quickly rise up into top 10 or top top five category in the SEC. It's kind of a, a weak year of SEC quarterbacks, to be honest. But that number 10 ranking just had more to do with just the fact that, you know, he was banged up and really rough end of the season, I thought. I thought, uh, you know, if they had a better option, they probably would have used it. But I just – I don't think they had anyone better. So he's got a long way to go before he can rise in my eyes. But he's got the talent. He's got the potential. And like I said, I mean, coming out with the – the leadership I just saw just from his immediate availability there. I mean, I think the first question he asked, he got asked was, were you ready for what you had last year? And I I think it's pretty clear that he, I don't want to say he wasn't ready, but I don't think he realized what he was getting himself into playing immediately as a true freshman in the SEC. And he, I mean, he had every opportunity to say, you know, it's not maybe it's a little bit more difficult than I, than I thought, or, you know, maybe the, Brian McLennan didn't prepare me enough or Dan Warner didn't do a good job. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. He just, he, he said he had to get better. I mean, he just showed to me, I, that said a lot about him because he, he could have handled that a lot differently. But, and I also like the fact that, like you said, his footwork, that's something that a lot of these elite 11 type quarterbacks, high school, all Americans, I mean, they got the big arm. They don't really need to work on their footwork until they get to this, at this level you get in the SEC. I mean, if you want a good quarterback, I know it's always weird, but I always look at their feet, and that's because that's what separates the great players. You know, there's only so many Brett Favre's where they can be backpedaling and firing <laughs> a rocket 60 yards down the field. I mean, you got 
you have to be the elite of the elite to do that. What separates guys like, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning is that extra work they put in with their feet and stuff like that. So I like to see Helensky doing that. I also like the fact that uh, it sounds like he's listened to some of the criticism about how, you know, he's more of a statue, statuesque quarterback back mm-hmm. there. And he's worked all off season despite his injuries to become more mobile, become a faster player. So and not that you really want your quarterback out there listening to what the haters are out there saying about him, but at least he found constructive criticism there and, and is working toward becoming a better player. And I'm sure he's probably hearing that more from the staff than he was, you know, Twitter or anything like that. But uh, I like the fact that he's listening to people telling him about the flaws in his game and taking the next step up. So, uh, you know, I really think there's, a, there's an outstanding chance Ryan Helinski does have a really good season for South Carolina. But, of course, we all know you could be one hell of a quarterback, but if you don't have anyone to throw the ball to or, you know, the receivers keep dropping the ball, what have you, um, I mean, it, it just makes the, the quarterback's job that much tougher. So um, there's, there's a real possibility that Ryan Helinski finishes the season as one of the better SEC quarterbacks, but a lot of things are going to have to go right immediately in this Mike Bobo system. And I'm just not ready to believe it. Kind of like you, I'm, I, I need to see it before I kind of project that as, as happening, but he's got the talent and he's got the right coach to get him there. I think. Yeah. I definitely think he's got the talent for sure. And the upside is there. I, I want to move to the defensive side of the ball, Mike, because I think it's interesting in a season last year that again was, was, forgettable, abysmal, uh, any adjective you want to throw out there at four and eight. The South Carolina defense quietly had a pretty solid year. They, they had some pretty good games. You know, what most stands out is that game at Georgia where Israel McQuamu has three interceptions. But you were led really on the defensive side, I thought, by DJ Wanham, Javon Kinlaw, obviously, who is a monster inside. He might be a top ten pick in the NFL draft next month. But this year mm-hmm. returning, you know, you lose Kinlaw, you lose Wanham, but – Zach Pickens returns. Jordan Birch will be there in the fall. Will Muschamp making clear he's going to play um, that linebacker hybrid type, the spur position. Yeah, the linebacker position, sort of what DJ Wanham play, going to play on the outside, be a rusher. But you return J.J. Nivare, Aaron Sterling, Rick Sandage. Like I said, I think Pickens is a guy that needs to step up and have a big year. I think linebacker's probably your most questionable spot, and it seems like it is every year. But Ernest Jones is a really solid player. I think Sherrod Green's a solid player. And then in the secondary, obviously, you're led by Israel Mokwamu, J.C. Horn, Jimmy Robinson's a guy that I know everyone around Columbia is really excited about. So just kind of give your overall thoughts and your talks. Again, this is normally the side of the ball on a Will Muschamp team that, you know, is solid, is the best part. It's always the offense that is the question. But I think there's no doubt that last year's team was the best defense that South Carolina's had while he's been in Columbia. And I think this one's honestly, Mike, could rival – what you saw last year, I think this defense might really start be starting to come into its own uh, under Will Muschamp and that staff. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the thing that you kind of hit on there, the defensive line, yes, they're going to be losing some elite talent, but this is uh, probably going to be his deepest, most talented overall mm-hmm. line at South Carolina. And I love the, the hire of Tracy Rocker, uh, obviously coming from my alma mater, Tennessee, the last two years. He did an outstanding job uh, working with some defensive lines that were kind of either devoid of talent or uh, had some upperclassmen that were elite high school prospects that never did anything in college. He got the most out of all those guys, both his years there. So I think he's stepping into a situation where he's got more talent 
to work with at South Carolina than Tennessee ever had the last couple of years on the defensive line. And I, I think if those guys lead the charge, um, I, I think South Carolina could have an outstanding defense. But while South Carolina defense was kind of the strength of the, of the team last year, I have been kind of a little overall disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going into what is it, year five of Will Muschamp. I would yep. think, I, I would think that the defense would be, you know, like you said, they are a strength, but I just figured they'd be a little bit more dominant because that's that was his calling card at Florida. I mean, in, in Georgia, his other stops, Texas. Um, I, it just it just doesn't seem like it's coming to the level I expected, and maybe that's you know comes with maybe some misses on the recruiting trail, like a Jemias Williams comes to mind, stuff like that. But mm. I don't know. I I thought this would be more going into year five of Will Muschamp. I thought South Carolina would have basically the top defense in the SEC East, and I think you know they certainly have potential, but they're they're just they're pretty far from that, in my opinion. So there's a, there's a lot to work with. But one thing you kind of hit on in my podcast that I I didn't realize at the time, but uh, hell, J.C. Horn is a good player, but why is he not catching any interceptions? I mean, that that's troubling to me right there. And um, I don't know. I, I think his confidence was really shaken against Alabama. Because I remember going into that one, he was talking up such a big game about, you know, this is a – the game I'm going up against guys I know are going to be in the NFL and my God, I mean, they didn't slow him down one bit. You know what I mean? And, and ever since that game, it it just doesn't seem like in my opinion, he's been the same player. So he needs to get refocused. I also heard him, you know, talking this spring about this could be his money type year where he could be making the jump, to the NFL. And I, you know, it seems like he's kind of putting the cart before the horse there. So mm. I think he's got a long way to go. He's, He's got to become the player that he thinks he is for South Carolina to have an elite defense. But like I said, the good part is they're going to have this dominant defensive line potentially with just loaded with the elite players. One guy you didn't mention, Joseph Anderson. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love that kid. Out of Tennessee. From, um, out of the state of Tennessee. Yeah. Yep. He's out of the Nashville area. And I know several SEC schools loved him. But, you know, that's where South Carolina is at at this point where, you know, you can go six, seven, eight deep and you're still looking at elite type prospects on that defensive line, if all those guys step up and Tracy Rocker can get the most out of them like he did at Tennessee in recent years, um, I mean, there's an outstanding chance that that South Carolina does and Will Muschamp finally does have that dominant defense that I've been looking for them to have uh, ever since they hired him. Yeah, and I think you make a great point, Mike, and I do agree with you, and I think most South Carolina fans would agree with you that it, it definitely took a lot longer to get the defense rolling necessarily to what we expected, I guess, when he was hired. Because like you said, yeah, it definitely it definitely took a while. And I know going into last year, that was one of the biggest questions. I mean, you know, you were going into year four, and, you know, you really felt like the defense was a liability a lot of times. And that was mm-hmm. a really, really surprising thing. Is You know, with Will Muschamp, I mean, if the defense isn't good, I mean, what really is the point, in my, in my opinion? But I, I agree with you on J.C. Horn. I think he's got to be better. And, you know, obviously, again, we talked on your show that – you know, you, you can use the the excuse of they don't throw to my side of the field and take that as a compliment, yada, yada, yada. But no interceptions in two years is just the stat that glares to me with J.C. Horn. And if you're an elite defensive back, there's just no elite defensive back that goes two years without a without even a turnover, a single one, whether it be fumble, interception, what have you. So I definitely want to see that improve, increase. But I agree with you that the, the potential is certainly there. Uh, for this South Carolina defense. I want to shift gears a little bit, Mike, and talk to you about just kind of the overall landscape, 
you know, of the SEC. Again, you're a guy that covers SEC football, every single team, like you mentioned. The Gamecocks, I don't know if they pissed off the football gods or if Ray Tanner's just <laughs> that bad at scheduling or what the deal is, but somehow, some way, and again, we talked about this on your show, the Gamecocks find themselves once again with probably the number one toughest schedule in the country um, going into this 2020 season. I mean, obviously, again, you're stuck with playing Clemson, who's your in-state rival, and oh, by the way, maybe the best program in the entire country with no disrespect to Alabama, LSU, Ohio State. Those are the programs, whatever. One of the best, you play Georgia, you play Florida, you play at LSU, you play Texas A&M, you play play Tennessee, who's on, on the up and up with Jeremy Pruitt. You know, the list just goes on and on. Where do you feel like South Carolina right now – Take again, you're a guy, you, you cover the entire SEC. Where do you feel like they sort of fit into this entire SEC puzzle? Because I talked about on my show a few weeks back that this is a very important decade, in my opinion, Mike, for South Carolina football and really South Carolina sports in general, but we'll stick with football. I think it's just such an important decade because whether Will Muschamp is here next year or not, I feel like this thing's going to go one of two directions. You're either going to get better, and I'm not going to say you're going to get to where you were under Steve Spurrier. I don't know if South Carolina, honestly, will ever get to that kind of consistent success they had from 2010 to 2013. But you're either going to do what's necessary, in my opinion, to get better and challenge and you know be, be a contender in the SEC East and, heck, maybe for the entire SEC, or you're going to slip down the pecking order. I mean, you're, you're really – you know, South Carolina for a while past Tennessee, you know, it, it – Missouri was an afterthought. Kentucky was an afterthought. Vanderbilt obviously was an afterthought. Now you find yourself, you know, what Stoops is doing at Kentucky. Missouri just hired a new head coach. Tennessee, like I said, is back on the rise. And a lot of people, I know probably including yourself, are feeling really, really good about what Jeremy Pruitt is building. I mean, where do you feel like when you take a look at the SEC as a whole, but not just this year, but for years to come, like, I guess, what's your overall take on South Carolina and just where they fit in this SEC pecking order, if you will? Mm-hmm. Well, they're definitely not at the top, but, you know, that's not – I'm not trying to bag on them because I don't think there's many teams at the top. I think it's, you know, it's Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. I mean, that, right. I think those are your elite squads, and not only in the SEC, but nationally. Mm. And then you've got a big pack – right under that that I would throw them in and for me South Carolina's just got to they've got to be more competitive in those games and particularly the games at home and I'm looking this year you know you're talking up Tennessee but they've got a lot of issues too so that's a game where you've you've getting that at home that's got to be a win for Will Muschamp Mm -hmm. in South Carolina if they're going to go to a bowl game next year and you know if you would have told me last year that they ended the streak against Kentucky and they beat Georgia on the road. I said, my God, they probably won the SEC East, right? <laughs> nope, they lost every game besides that. That, yeah. that mattered. So, uh, you know, you cannot, you just simply cannot do that. So, you know, they're definitely not in that elite tier, but I really don't think you're that far off. Um, you know, we saw, I think, even Texas A&M rise to that level uh, just very briefly with a Johnny Manziel. So, you know, all you need is like kind of like lightning in a bottle to to potentially get there we saw that with you could even say with the Connor Shaw and the Jadavion Clowney so uh, you can build around special players and kind of reach that status because you got the facilities you got the fan base you got the stadium you got everything you're playing in uh, the best league that everybody wants to play in you're you're in a hotbed for recruiting so 
all the ingredients are there. Uh, they're just at this point, clearly, I would say, I don't know if you want to take it down even to a notch level three, but maybe put teams like Florida, Texas A&M into that, that second tier group and, and South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri into that next tier. But the, the, just the simple fact for South Carolina, you just, you've got to be more competitive against these teams that you should either be beaten on a regular basis or at, at the very least winning at home. And that just didn't happen last year. And that's why I understand the frustration with Will Muschamp. But at the same time, there's been other years where he's winning those games. So I just, you know, guys like Chad Morris that are just complete morons and don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yes, you got you to move on from them as quickly as you can. But I think, uh, you know, teams like Missouri who fired Barry Odom, um, I think that could prove to be a real mistake. Now, Eli Drinkwitz could prove me wrong, but – it, what happens, they just gave this guy 30-something million dollars, and what if he comes out and he's the next Chad Morris? I mean, they're going to be in a huge hole. So that's the danger of firing a guy just on a whim or, you know, unless you've got uh, Urban Meyer in your back pocket or something crazy like that. You know, I just don't know if you can make these moves. Now, I said the same thing about Joe Moorhead, and I kind of really like Matt Luke. I know he didn't win enough at Ole Miss, but when those fires – Firings were made. I, I was kind of questioning them. And then here they turn around and bring in Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. So, you know, South Carolina is a program that, hell, they could, they could get a Mike Leach or a Lane Kiffin if they threw enough money at him. So if you got a guy like that in your back pocket, maybe you do make that move. But I don't know. It's risky business because I think Missouri thought they'd do a little bit better than Eli Drinkwitz. I, I know Arkansas thought they'd do better than Sam Pittman. Uh, mm. So you've got, you've got to have your ducks in a row if you're going to make that move. And I, I just don't know at this point with the, the, the leadership of South Carolina who they'd be targeting. But I don't know. That, that, particularly with Ray Tanner. I know coaches like working for Ray Tanner, but I, it doesn't seem like his track record is the best right now either. So I don't know how attractive that would be for an elite, elite coach if you had to try to make that move to get South Carolina to that elite level in the SEC. No, for sure. I, I do – last question before I let you go, Mike, but I, I do want to point out one thing you said and where I think the frustration truly stems from. You know, you talked about that South Carolina – and we talked a little bit about this when I came on your show that, you know, the Gamecocks, it feels like they have – and I think Steve Spurrier made this point too when he was in Columbia. You know, he said, we have the fans. We have the facilities. You know, we have the talent. We can go get the talent, and we have the talent. You've seen the recruiting classes that Will Muschamp has built up you know, bringing in guys like Luke Doty, like Marshawn Lloyd, like Jordan Birch from previous classes as well. It feels like all the ingredients are there. And we talked about last year, you know, you beat Georgia and Athens. There's obviously talent on this football team. Did Georgia play its best game? No. Was it maybe, you know, I don't want to even want to say, use the word fluky, but did you catch some breaks in that game with the turnovers? Sure. But there's, there's, there, there's obviously talent on this team if you're able to go win a game like that. And again, I think that's where the frustration for Will Muschamp comes because I think most people believe that it is coaching. But last question before I let you go, Mike, and simply put, I'm going to put you on the spot. We, you know, all of that is great and all of the things that are going on around the program that are positive are great. But as we know, at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses. These guys are getting paid millions of dollars. And at the, at the end of the day, you either put up or you shut up. You're either going to win enough or you're not. We're having this conversation March of 2021. Is Will Muschamp the head coach at South Carolina next spring and next fall? Yeah, I think he will, I, and I think they'll surprise. It's, it just seems to be the way South Carolina 
and Will Muschamp, their careers have gone. When you think they're going to do well, they fall flat on their face. When you're, <laughs> you're ready to fire them, you know, they come out, come out and surprise. So I'm not going to be stunned if they beat a Kentucky and Tennessee. And, I mean, clearly you got to beat Missouri. If they don't beat Missouri, you've got to fire them yeah. by Sunday, I think. But, <laughs> uh, you know, you could, there, you could very easily finish ahead of those teams. And, hell, I mean, they could have beat the Gators last year if not for some questionable calls in mm-hmm. that one. You just beat Georgia. So, no, it's not going to stun me if they rise up the – it would stun me if they won the SEC East, but it wouldn't stun me if they compete for it towards, the, like I said, going into that gauntlet there in November. I, I think the thing that really kills Muschamp, and, you know, you kind of hit on it here, but just the fact that Clemson's in your state. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they were – if there was no team like that, inside your own state the fan base is having to hear about how good clemson is and their damn cupcake league all year long i i think it'd be a lot you know Muschamp's seat wouldn't be near as hot as it is but that's the reality of the situation and if clemson goes to another college football playoff appearance with trevor lawrence and hell they just signed a kid out of california well i'm not even going to try to say his name but they're saying he's just as good as trevor lawrence and south carolina doesn't make a bowl game yeah, I think you get, you're going to see you're going to be making a move there, but I just don't see it. I think they're going to win seven, maybe eight games next year, and I think they're going to surprise some people. But I should say, with a caveat, I was the guy last year. I don't know if you caught that. I'm sure a lot of your listeners did. I went on the damn Paul Feinbaum show and said South Carolina could win ten games, <laughs> and uh, I was a little bit off there. So take take my opinion for what it's worth. Yeah, I do remember that, Mike, and I, I know I do appreciate it because, you know, we love talking season and love getting hype in the off season. but uh, hey, it's all good. It's all, we, we, we appreciate the, uh, the extra, the added enthusiasm, what it added. I mean, you, you know, people are already, already extremely hype uh, to go into a season, then you have somebody like yourself <laughs> saying that the Gamecocks could be a double-digit win team and then the, the, the dreams start dancing in your head. One last thing, though, because it's funny, you brought up the Clemson thing, and I do 100% agree with you, but I was having this conversation with uh, – with a buddy over the weekend, the analogy that I made, it's like knowing you're ugly, but waking up every morning and someone shoving a mirror in your face. That, that's kind of what it's like right now to be a South kind of football <laughs> game, football fan with the success that Clemson's having. It's like every single day, like you said, it's just a haunting reminder. And I agree with you that I think if Clemson's a six, seven win program, similar to what South Carolina is, the heat on Will Muschamp is much, 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 much less. But like I said, when you've got Georgia doing what they're doing and Clemson doing what they're doing, it's, you know, it's tough. It's just tough for people to cope with and deal with. And like you said, especially outside of the upset at, in Athens last year, those games against those teams, especially Clemson, they haven't been close. And, and I agree with you that you have to at least somewhat start being close in those games, being competitive. It's just really hard to convince people that your program is on the right trajectory and the right path when – Granted, give Clemson all the credit. They're a fantastic team, a great program. What Dabo has done is phenomenal. But when you're losing to your rival by 30, 35 points, 28 points, it's just really hard to convince people that, you know, you're you're headed in the right direction, if you will. Yeah, Will Muschamp, I mean, he's just got to figure out how to cheat as well as Dabo. I mean, that's that'll solve it, <laughs> won't it? Absolutely. So, again, Mike, really do appreciate it. Again, he's Michael Bratton, at Michael W. Bratton on Twitter. And like I said, the host of That SEC Podcast, which is at That SEC Podcast, can be found everywhere that you find podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcast, it's going to be there. It's a fantastic show. Be sure to tune in. And check out Saturday Down South as well. They put out a ton of great content a ton of great work. So again, Mike, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously 
We will talk again soon as we go through spring ball. Spring games are coming up, and then we hit that lull. That is the summer months, but then we jump right back into it with SEC Media Days, which for someone like yourself, for me, it's, it's, that's kind of like our feeding frenzy, and then we get right into fall camp, and before you know it, the season's here. So I really do appreciate you taking the time, Mike, and uh, look forward to having you on again soon. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So for Michael Bratton, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.